This is Amalia Eon Karras. Hey everyone, it's Satya, and you're listening to Love, Love Sex, Sex and, and the Hidden, Hidden Agenda. agenda. So um, I was just thinking about relationships and how fascinated you and I are with relationships and uh, everything about them, the past, the present, the future. And uh, I mean, with all the relationship types that you've had, the experiences that you've had, the alternative relationships and so forth, I'm just thinking, you know, and the divorce rates, the the way they are, and, you know, all that we've seen in our lifetime, just with gay marriage and so many things changing and so many people experimenting. Um, so where, what's next, you know, like what, <laughs> where do you think we're headed? Where, I feel like we're evolving to something completely different because obviously what was going on in the fifties, like, isn't, you know, that's dying. That's going away. You know, that's just evident. It's obvious in my opinion. Yeah. That's how I see it too. It's like a thing of the past. Um, for me, I know a lot of people are still kind of adhering to those old, you know, relationship structures or desiring that, but I never have, you know, like as, I don't know if it's, you know, the way I grew up, um, if it's the parents I had and the time that I was living, the place I was living. I'm sure that all has a lot to do with the, you know, my personal perspective and and the way I Yeah, because your parents were a little older, right? So you... Yeah, they had me later, although, you know, they were in their late 30s, early 40s kind of, but that's normal now. So it's kind of yeah. interesting to see... Um, but, but there was like a generational gap I noticed between my parents and like my, my friends' parents. So my parents, you know, they spent their teenage years or their sexual peak like in the fifties. Um, whereas most people my age, their parents spent their like sexual peak in the sixties. So that's a very different parenting oh style, right? You know, you've got the hippie kids, the flower children, mm-hmm. um, but my parents were much more uh, conservative than a lot of people's parents my age. But it's fascinating because they were still quite radical compared to their parents. You know, their parents were in um, World War II. You know, they were raised during war and famines and all kinds of difficulties. And they were both from families with like, five or six kids. And, you know, that was kind of normal. Um, whereas the generations later that, you know, they started, stopped having so many children and times really changed, right? We came out of the depression and we haven't really been in a, 
a war that that was that dramatic, you know, in their time, they experienced, you know, TV and radio (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. experienced the internet and, you know, so a huge evolution of, of the way that we relate right to Mm -hmm. each other. And so there's this huge gap between, you know, what my parents experienced and um, in relationship and dating and sexuality than for, for my generation very different because yeah. not only am I um, leapfrogging them just because I'm two generations younger, um, but it's like we, the way I see it, our collective consciousness is that I've inherited not only the the issues that my parents still haven't worked out from that time in the 50s, mm-hmm. um, but also the g- generation after them, the hippies and, and the whole love revolution like mm. I, I was really influenced by that growing up in San Francisco. Um, and I kind of experienced my revolution of love or summer of love in the nineties. The nineties was like a huge sixties revival with the whole rave scene, mm-hmm. um, and all of the psychedelics and, you know, the, the party scene when I was in my twenties was very reminiscent of, of the hippies, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like, like Woodstock or something. Or yeah. Like the technology version of, yeah. of what they, they created sort of this revolution of love and breaking the boundaries of like, well, maybe we don't want to be housewives. Maybe we don't want to be these fem these feminine submissive types. We want to um, be equal to men and our orgasms matter, right? And so there was that whole Mm. movement of women like stepping into their sexual liberation. Whereas my mother's generation, like she was quite radical for her generation. She moved um, from New York to California, which, you know, that was it. That was really far away. Wow. um, To get away from her family. And she she was in a Protestant house and she married a Catholic. That was radical. And he oh, was um, he was actually an Orthodox, but then they both became Catholic together. That was like the common ground. So religion was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and family marriages were a big, you know, like the families were still very animate on who you could and couldn't marry. Mm. Um, Whereas I think in the in the hippie generation, it was sort of like more relaxed. You know, people were, they fell in love, they got married, or they had kids outside of marriage. That was all very common. There was a lot of single moms um, around the hippie generation, where in the 50s, that just didn't happen. Like, people stayed married. Like, my parents, when they got divorced, I was 16, or around, mm-hmm. between like 14 and 16. Um they were in the process of separation or whatever. And that, that was quite radical. You know, most of, I think I was the only, there was only one other friend I had who had a divorced parent. Everybody else's parents were married. So, um, but then you see after that, you know, it's very common in California, like large numbers of people's parents are divorced. It's more common than that they're married. It's way over 50%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so something's changing, right? Like our, our ideas about relationship are changing. And I've just always found it 
really fascinating because as a very young child, I felt like nobody was doing it right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. who, who made me the judge? But I just <laughs> found that <laughs> like, this isn't what I want. I don't want that. I don't want that. So I experimented so much in my own ways of relating. Like I know in high school, I, I didn't want a boyfriend. Like all my friends had boyfriends and I'm like, why the hell would you want a boyfriend when you're this young? Like that just, don't you want to just play around and like hang out with guys? Like, why would you want to be serious? Like, don't you want to wait till you're older to get that serious? I don't know. It just didn't mm-hmm. make any sense for me. So I didn't do that. And, and in my relationships with men, it was very natural and very free. Like there was no ownership. I didn't understand the whole jealousy and possessiveness because it didn't make sense to my innocent mind. Like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to play and enjoy each other. And I didn't, I didn't understand why these girls were getting all, you know, possessive Mm -hmm. and psychotic and like wrapped up with, with one guy. It's like, you haven't had any experience. Why are you, how do you know this is the one? I don't know. It was just, it was strange for me. but mm. I was different from most people, you know, and then it, it put me on this, this weird trajectory of how to relate because I related so differently. I was more about, um, I, I personally needed a lot of freedom. I didn't like when someone got obsessive with me. It scared me. Like if they, if they got possessive or jealous, even girlfriends, if they got jealous of me, it terrified me. It felt mm. like why are you doing that? You're acting like a crazy person, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel loving. It, it feels suffocating. And, um, and maybe yeah. that comes from, you know, being neglected so much in my childhood. I'm not used to someone giving me that much attention. Right. So yeah. it could be a part of that, but I, I found it out of balance and distorted energetically. Like someone's trying to control another person instead of just trusting that their connection is, is what it is, you know, they're like trying to make it something it's not. Right. Yeah. And I think that more and more people are waking up to this, um, as I see, because a lot of people are cycling through relationships much faster now than any other time in history. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know you and I both kind of share this, Mm -hmm. yeah doing this podcast because we both have had a lot of relationships, mm-hmm. a couple of marriages and, and some mm-hmm. alternative relationships that weren't normal. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think that we're still evolving. I know for myself, I'm still figuring that out. And, you know, I was in San Francisco in the early nineties. Um, I was in a, a marriage with a a man, but we also had a girlfriend. So it was the three of us um, in this triad of a relationship. And we were very proud of it. And I think a lot of people found that extremely strange and um, appalling and threatening. So Mm -hmm. what what would happen is, you know, a lot of uh, other men would kind of try and convince their girlfriend or partner to 
to be in a threesome, but it, it didn't, um, it, it wasn't created. Our relationship wasn't thought through. We were just so young and mm. it, it happened very naturally. Um, and from a very carefree, open place. Now, you know, it's not like we could sustain it that long. It lasted like a year and a half. Um, but at the time, that kind of relationship was so shocking, even so though taboo we were in San Francisco. And, yeah. Yes, mm. so taboo and so triggering. You know, we would go into parties or places or events, and we started a company together, so we were quite known as mm-hmm. this you know, threesome. And it just created a wave of, of havoc, you know, a lot of questions, a lot of like, how does it work? How does, and it's like, I don't know, we're figuring it out. But what it did for me is it like put me in a place where I, I know that I want to be in a relationship where, um, you know, honesty and, and freedom, not freedom to like, go do whatever your kind of lustful desires are. That's not what I'm talking about, but freedom in a sense of like a liberation of, you can just totally be yourself and be authentic to what you're um, attracted to or not attracted to. Like there's no reason to hide because I think that um, the reason why so many relationships have failed from what I look at it is because of shame, shame and a lack of freedom. So people either feel trapped or they're so ashamed at their desires and the things that they think about or what they do when their partner or spouse isn't around, Mm -hmm. that that's what breaks up the relationships. That's what I've noticed when I look at them. Like my father, he was hiding that he was having an affair with this woman he worked with, with, you know, and I could see it the whole time. My mom was totally blind to it. And, and I was thinking, how can you be blind to it? You're not sleeping with the guy, you know, like you guys have a terrible sex life. That's obvious, (laughs) you know, like, and, (laughs) and of course he's a very, you know, vivacious dude and she's always sick and tired, you know? And so to me, it was like, of course he's going to be attracted to someone. Of course he's going to want to do this. What's the problem? Why is everybody so uh, shocked? Wow. I don't understand why, why people were shocked. It's like, that's just natural mm-hmm. to me that he would need physical affection and attention. And then the whole like taboo they placed over it is where I was just like, wow, you're just going to shame this person. Mm. so intently that they're going to get more closeted, more self-sabotaging, more twisted up inside themselves. And I just think, why, do, why are we doing that? Like I, it disturbs me yeah. that we do that to each other, that, that we run relationships out of like shame and guilt. And I think this is the old patriarchal church that conditioned mm-hmm. us to take away our power, right? Because our sexual power is the seat of, of, of our personal power. It's like, that is our life force. And so if mm. they could shame it and cage it and possess it, well, then they control you. Pin drop, mic drop. <laughs> That's, 
I'm yeah. That's so that's so deep right there. That's like I'm descending into a giant. <laughs> Yeah, I don't ever want to be controlled like that. And so I think that since I woke up from the church, you know, I was 14 when the church kicked me out. Thank God. Hallelujah. Right at puberty. Like I was a virgin. They called me a slut. I had never even kissed a boy. They said I was having, I mean, that's why they kicked me out of the church. So it was such an ironic thing. It's like, no, I've never actually even had sex, but all you guys are pedophiles all you guys are right. fucking other women. Sorry for cussing, but we can beep. do that, right? We can do that here, right? <laughs> I think I've sworn many times. Joe can always beep it out. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I these men that were kicking me out of the church for being improper, which wasn't me, right? I didn't I didn't do that. My best friend They probably was, yeah. They probably wanted to have sex with you or something. I mean, they probably saw your energy and your intelligence and they were well, like, they we got to get rid they of this knew one. That I was a witness to many of abuses. I, I mm. was, I witnessed a lot of um, pedophilia and weird sexual abuse. And I was sort of the mm. keeper of a lot of secrets as a very young, at a very young age, I Mm -hmm. could see that what they were doing and what the church was doing was wrong. And I was questioning it, even though I was still, um, behaving as a good girl, I still had, I had something in me that they couldn't break. And I had an awareness that disturbed them. And so, you know, when, when my best friend, when it was found out that she had had sex, um, with a boy out, mm-hmm. outside of the church, you know, or whatever. Um, or outside of marriage or whatnot. Yeah. Well, she was 13, right? We're, we're kids, but mm-hmm. she, she was being abused by her father and, um, her father was a deacon of the church and the two of us were kind of inseparable. And I, I knew a lot of the things that were happening to her. And so I think that they were afraid that I would talk. So it was easier for them to just remove me from the situation altogether. Mm. And um, at the time it was super disturbing, but you know, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because then all of the lies, I, I could see through everything. And that's when I got away from these sick people and started to be really thankful that I was, no longer entrapped and being programmed by by these you know really disturbing mm-hmm. um double messages like they would s- preach at church you know you shouldn't have marital affairs but i was the babysitter for most of the families in the church and i knew who was having an affair with who like i could see most of the men were having affairs and i could mm-hmm. see and i knew of a lot of child pedophilia that was going on, molestations, rape, all of that, that was happening within the families, within pastors and the kids. Like I, I knew of all of that. I was witness to it. And <sighs> so I had all this information that was like, you guys are all hypocrites. Like, but I mm-hmm. somehow, it was normal for me because I grew up in it. Right. So I knew all of that, but I wasn't speaking to it. But the second that they kicked me out, it was like, oh, thank God I'm away from these sick people. Um, 
And so I just never wanted to be one of those wives in one of those kind of marriages because those wives had no voice. They were completely, um, they were all sick. Like we have the highest number of breast cancer and weird, Uh, weird illnesses. Like my mom was always on the couch sick with a headache. Like always, always, always sick and tired. Almost all the women in our church were sick all the time. And I was like, what, what is this epidemic of illness? Like, is it the, they thought maybe it's the power lines. Maybe there's some weird um, energy grid here, but it was that sick church I feel. And, and the weird Mm -hmm. um, programs they were putting in the minds of, of these women to disempower them. So they had no sex drive. They were all complacent, good wives, letting the men do all kinds of horrors. And when the kids, like my sister would say, you know, this pastor has molested me in my voice lesson. And I was there and witnessed it. And my mom and all the secretary and all the women she told were like, oh, come on, honey, that didn't really happen. And I'm like the eight-year-old kid going, no, it happened to her. I saw it. It. She's telling the truth. And they would uh, all go, oh, yeah. No, uh, she didn't. That didn't really happen. He's a pastor. And it's like, I don't care who he is. I saw him do it. And so they make you think that you're crazy, like you're making it up. Right, right. So all of that was going on. And I just grew up feeling like I don't want to be that stupid, dumbed down woman. I knew that that happens when they marry these kind of guys. Right. So I went a very radical route. Um, I left the country. I've been living on my own since I was 17. I needed to get the hell away from that kind of Christian belief system. And I started to meet other people, more free thinkers. Um, and so, you know, I can't say that all my experiment experiments were, uh, I don't know, golden in the sense there, there was a lot of pain and, and difficulties trying out these new alternate relationship styles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see something beautiful emerging on the horizon and I see the collective consciousness waking up to it. And I see those of us like you and I and others who've been really like not settling for, um, I don't know if it's like some false sense of security or who are not settling for status quo or who are not settling for the prescribed relationship. Mm-hmm we're going to find something more satisfying in relationships. That's, that's my hope or that's what drives me to do the work that I do. Because I know that the second I've, that somebody has like possessed me or um, starts claiming me, there's one thing to be proud to be with someone and to have healthy boundaries Um yeah. And to have a certain level of uh, a very clear communication and commitment with a person. I'm not saying that I don't want that. But when it becomes controlling, it, it could be a woman to the man also. Yeah. It's not all men. So please don't hear me wrong. Um, because no, I, I wasn't see a lot of the women. Yeah. yeah, but some of the guys listening might be because a lot of yeah. men – and I think a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast have had horrible women 
in their lives, whether it was their mothers or um, a wife that, you know, like really abusive, dominating women who have totally like spun in the other direction. So, you know, I think all of us have experienced some sort of relationship horror. um, And then some of us just get stopped. And I'm very committed to not being stunted in my growth. You know, I think that Mm -hmm. relationships are designed for our growth and evolution. Like we, we were hurt in relationships, but we also heal in relationships. Like we need a relationship to heal the hurt of a past relationship. Um, Yeah. We can do so much healing on our own, but then it really, we're not really healed until we test it out in a relationship, right? Like to trust again, to Mm -hmm. love again. Um, So relationships are going to keep happening and evolving. And I think, you know, friendships are a beautiful way and and the the self-help movement and all of these retreats and personal growth that's happening, like people are starting to learn how to communicate better and more openly and more honestly and find deeper connection within themselves. And from there, I think we're going to experience a new wave of relationships that are more satisfying, more authentic, um, more wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to look like what it, what it looks like now. Although most of it is just all in secret, you know, even the people that, you know, have stayed married and quote, have not gotten a divorce. There's so much stuff in going on in secret that, isn't apparently accepted or discussed. And so, yeah, just that it would all be out in the open would be fantastic for all of us because it's just feeding, it's just feeding the darkness. Yeah. To not have to feel ashamed for um, having certain needs and desires, right? Like how many married people feel completely ashamed or even if they're just in a committed relationship to even have an attraction or a turn on for from someone else like majority right. of them they're oh, gonna yeah. feel like oh my god I can't tell my wife or my husband that I just um had this amazing encounter with a stranger that got me super excited yeah like even if it was just like a glance like so many men are completely shamed for looking at a beautiful woman walking by. I mean, it's that bad. Yeah. Like the shame is so base level, like on the such stupid things that, that people are terrified mm-hmm. to express themselves and they're even terrified to explore what the heck they're even looking at. Right. It's just so instinctual. Like a gorgeous woman walks by, they glance at her and the next thing they know they're busted and like, their wife is treating them like crap for the next week. Mm. That's just really common. I've heard that story yeah. a million times. Yeah. Well, and well, on another note, I think a, a part of that is, is the woman thinking what the other woman thinks like, Oh, if another woman sees, like if I walk in and I see a man oogling me and he's with a woman, 
even I will probably disrespect him and, and think to myself, that poor woman, like I'll think, oh, I feel sorry for that woman he's with. You know, and that's a lot of women who do that are thinking, oh, the, but the women who see you do this are going to think something of me almost more than like, we don't really, you know, maybe they don't care so much that he's looking, but it's the perception also of, of other people, you know, or I might think, oh, that guy's not a relationship guy or not husband material or something like that. So even I have that kind of judgment. Well, at the mm -hmm. same time, I'm completely you know, open to different types of things and different types of relationships. But there is so much work we have to do and so much healing we have to do. And, and what, what I have to take a deep breath on is when I start to think, you know, just, you know, good people in average relationships, like how much that's going to shift and how much all of that can't even shift until all the other stuff shifts, which is all of the other stuff, like all of the, all of the secrets and all the pedophilia and all of the, uh, and the parasite and just the whole thing. And well, I think, yeah, when I just want to back up for a second, because when, when you're talking about like how you view a guy who looks at a beautiful woman walking through a room, who's sitting with someone else, it's like, what I see is that we're, we've been stripped because it could be the other way around. Like a, it could be a woman looking at a, a gorgeous man walking by mm -hmm. and she's married, right? Yeah. We're stripped of knowing ourselves and our own instinctual nature where it's been replaced by judgment and shame yes, and confusion. So the person, the husband or the, the person who's looking at the beautiful object person walking by or whatever, looking with desire has been shamed to the connection of their own base desires to the mm -hmm. point where they don't trust themselves. Right. There's no trust left. They, that person has been stripped of self-trust because their partner has been judging them and now they're judging themselves. Why do I do that? What, you know, the guy probably goes home. I've counseled so many couples in this exact situation where a guy gets turned on innocently and the woman can't let it go. That's kind of silly. I mean, to go to that degree is ridiculous. No, it's really common. It's so common mm -hmm. that it's like it, women feel justified in it and men feel so ashamed of it mm -hmm. that they then turn to porn or they turn to an affair or something because they're being starved of what their base level is, you know, they're, they're being starved of just a natural reaction to something. Mm -hmm. And, right. and it's creating dissonance inside our systems. It's creating a um, disconnection between our sexuality and our heart and our mind um, with all of this dogma and boundaries that have been placed. And I think, you know, in the sixties, they, they ripped that off and we're like, anything goes. And then, you know, we got tons of STDs and AIDS and all that epidemic stuff. And then, and then the Christians came in again, shame on you. You were, you are going to be cursed by STDs. If you think that you can just go out and, and sleep with whoever you want. And mm -hmm. so then there was like, well, I don't even know wave of fear. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's some people who say that even AIDS was just created by somebody and just put into the system. 
But I mean, boy, did that get used heavily for people to be, you know, again, have more control over our sexuality, more shame. So exactly. So I think think we're at time. We are. And that's what happens when, um, you know, people are getting liberated. People are starting to feel the sense of their power. And then they had to inject something to control the population again. So brings us to the con, um, back to the, the parasite, but we'll save that for the next episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You're going to have to stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you'd like to contact us and stay in touch with us, you can find us at lovesexagenda.com. That's lovesexagenda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, Love Sex and the Hidden Agenda. Mm-hmm.